Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. And today we're going to be looking at what I call a couple of evidentialist atheists. And those are some of my favorite to respond to because here are a couple of guys who actually do want to look at the evidence and see where it leads. But what we're going to find out is in this episode, they come to the conclusion that free will does not exist. And because of that, we can hold no one ultimately praiseworthy or blameworthy. And more than that, this should be taught in schools and the criminal justice system should pay attention. It's an interesting idea and so I look forward to digging in to today's topic. This, needless to say, is a very compelling hypothesis that if true would have unprecedented effects on our notions of praise, blame, pride and guilt. You fully accepted a moment ago that uh, a man who kills somebody's family is not morally accountable. Mm -hmm. In fact, does anyone ever deserve gratitude? Does anyone ever deserve blame? So what we've got here is Stephen Woodford, that's Rationality Rules, and Alex O'Connor, that's Cosmic Skeptic, who are sitting down, uh, we'll see later, they'll sit down together and talk about some of these things in a little bit more detail. Here we'll start with um, a video called Free Will Debunked by... Um, uh, rationality rules. Now, um, I've talked about this in one of my response videos to Matt Dillahunty, uh, who I think now pretty well agrees with both of these guys. And I talked about it in a video response when uh, both of these guys and Matt Dillahunty were all on the same video together. So you can go check those out and uh, we might go over some of the same material here. But uh, I thought it'd be good to do a, a response video directly to uh, this video and the video where they're discussing because they go into some uh, details that I think would, even for some skeptics, might be a little bit surprising. Maybe not. But I think it shows that if you presume naturalism, if you presume that uh, matter is all there is and uh, that there is no God and the supernatural does not exist and our anthropology is one without a human soul, then that takes you down a certain path that is at once counterintuitive and I don't think livable. And we're going to see that in today's episode. If you presume that uh, that matter is not all there is, that naturalism is not true, and that there is a God, especially if you have good arguments for uh, God's existence, then I think that takes you down a different path, a path that makes sense of our experience, makes sense of our intuitions, and doesn't lead to what I think are, frankly, some of the catastrophic ramifications of the position that we're going to be taking a look at today. I want to start off by saying that I really do like both of these guys. Um, I, I like the approach that they take. For those that have seen the video that I'll link in the description where I go over different types of atheist YouTube channels, um, these are the evidentialist type, and I love responding to those the most because we're actually talking about what happens to be the truth, not what we would prefer to be the truth, not why certain people believe certain things, but we're looking at what is actually the case about the nature of reality. I also think these guys are nice guys. I would enjoy hanging out with them. But uh, we're going to take a look and go a little bit further with this and see what they have to say. Let's begin with this video. I'm not playing all of the video, but I'll link it in the description. Free will debunked from Rationality Rules. And uh, we'll see what he has to say right now. The realization and subsequent proof that external factors at least in part determine our consciousness has led many of humanity's greatest minds to suspect that our consciousness might be entirely determined by external factors. That despite the fact we're conscious, we're no more free than the wind. 
This, needless to say, is a very compelling hypothesis that, if true, would have unprecedented effects on our notions of praise, blame, pride, and guilt. But that's all. Yeah. Now, so we're gonna we're gonna look at another clip here in just a few moments. But uh, I want you to understand what's being said. If it is the case, so we have a couple of ty a couple of ways you can understand the nature of human freedom. So on the one hand, what most people kind of come prepackaged with is what people just presume to be true. Um, he even admits in this video, it, we all seem to experience it as though it's this way that we have what is called libertarian freedom. A libertarian freedom is and uh, is the belief that uh, nothing outside of or external to you uh, determined your actions. Um, so uh, we. Some people will say it's the ability to have done other than whatever you ended up doing. So um, when I chose to make this podcast today, I didn't have to do that. I could have done something else instead, or I could have done a, a podcast response to a different video. Uh, you know, people would think, okay, well, you could have done otherwise. That's that's what we mean when we say libertarian freedom. That's where most people stop. That's what cosmic skeptic presumes, and perhaps I'm not sure. I think that's what rationality rules thinks as well, and that is that. Oftentimes, I believe that is the case. However, that's not that that's not merely uh, that's not the the bottom line of what it means to have libertarian freedom. The the best way to say it is whether or not you could have done otherwise in a particular situation, which I think most of the time you could have. Uh, the what we really mean when we say libertarian freedom, what is both necessary and sufficient for libertarian freedom is that nothing outside of you determines your actions. On naturalism, if there is no God, then everything that you do is ultimately determined. Your, your brain states uh, or, or your conscious states are reducible to your brain states, which is reducible to your uh, biology, which was determined by things outside of you that you had no control over. So that means that something external to you is very much determining what it is that you end up doing. That's libertarian freedom. I mean, I'm sorry, that's determinism. So libertarian freedom says nothing external to you determines your actions. Um, determinism says, uh, yeah, everything you do is determined ultimately by things outside of your control. Um, some people try to go for what's called compatibilism. Compatibilism actually affirms that determinism is true. Things outside of you did determine your actions, uh, but we can still talk about meaning, a meaningful sense in which you are free. Uh, you're just free to act in accordance with your nature. Uh, you're free to do whatever you want, but what you want is determined. So it's still determinism in the exact same sense that the admitted determinist holds. It's just that compatibilism uses the language of freedom that we're all so used to. Um, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Matt Dillahunty used to hold to compatibilism. Daniel Dennett famously still holds to compatibilism unless something's changed that I'm not familiar with. But uh, Dillahunty, uh, for the first time, as far as I know, in my debate with him, actually came out and said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning more towards just dropping the language of compatibilism. So uh, people move around on this, but when you get down to it, what rationality rules, what cosmic skeptic, what they would agree with me about, I think, is that there are really only two meaningful ideas in play here. Either free will exists or it doesn't. If it exists, it's what we call libertarian freedom. If it does not exist, we have what we call determinism. That's kind of the, the playing field here. And what Rationality Rules has just said is he's, what this whole discussion today is about is, look, if determinism is the case, if it is the case that something outside of you determines your actions, um, then that means that nothing you really do 
is praiseworthy or blameworthy. When someone builds wells for thirsty people in, uh, in a country where they, they need water, when someone engages in some kind of philanthropy, that really isn't in any ultimate sense praiseworthy because they were doing what they were determined to do. And likewise, and this is really what they're going to focus on, is when somebody does something criminal, whatever that may be, uh, someone kills your family is one of the examples that gets brought up, then they're not really blameworthy because they were just doing whatever they were determined to do. And so the idea here is that needs to be taught. We need to teach that in the schools. We need to teach that in the criminal justice programs at universities. We need to get that message out there, principally through this incredible book by Sam Harris on free will. We need to get it all out there so that people understand that whenever someone engages in criminal behavior, we should, we, we should consider the fact that they really are a victim of circumstances they could not have done otherwise. Now that to me is an unlivable and somewhat mind-blowing sort of a concept. Uh, the fact that it's mind-blowing doesn't mean it's false. There are a lot of things that are mind-blowing that are true. Uh, but I don't think people realize the extent, I think these guys do, I don't think the average person realizes uh, the, what that means ultimately is it sounds nice when you say, well, if someone jaywalked or if someone got a speeding ticket, they really couldn't have helped it. They were doing what they were determined to do. But understand it also means when someone engages in a hate crime against someone of a particular ethnicity or against uh, women or against homosexual people or against trans people or whatever, that when they do that, no matter how wicked, when understand, let's put it in the starkest terms we can. When a religious person engages in a hate crime against a homosexual person on determinism, they are, they are merely the victims of their circumstances. Sure. Those other people are victims too. The person that received the, you know, the hate crime was committed against, but the individual engaging in that hate crime, uh, was was just a victim of circumstance and could not have done otherwise. That's what we're saying. No one is ultimately praiseworthy or blameworthy, and uh, so uh, so so that's what's being said here. Now we're gonna we're gonna go a bit further. Hey, if that's true, then then we just got to accept it. But I want you to know this is being discussed. Here we have a. Um, uh, you can't really see all of this on the screen, uh, but what we have here is on the left, you see a guy whose name is Greg Caruso, and on the right, you see Daniel Dennett. Uh, he's the guy that we said was a compatibilist that we were discussing just a moment ago. And let me make sure I've got the screen uh, where it ought to be here. Uh, but but what we what we have in this article here, what what they're what they're saying here, the name of the article is Just Desserts. And Caruso is, is arguing what Rationality Rules is kind of saying here, that look, this has major ramifications for criminal justice. And he wrote a book to that effect. And so what, we're try what, what they're having a little discussion, a back and forth written debate about is whether that's true. So this is something that's definitely being discussed. This is something that's definitely out there in the culture. And you may not have heard too much about it yet, but that's because these philosophical discussions about the nature of human freedom are not really on the forefront of what most people are thinking about. It's one of those ideas that, um, you know, normal people, even normal college educated people might think about occasionally. And, oh, that's a really interesting philosophical concept. Doesn't seem to have much practical implication on me. So I'm going to move on from it. But it does have practical implications on you. Um, I, I have some stats here. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, let's see. 
Uh, among philosophically trained people, there was a questionnaire that was sent out uh, to a number of philosophers and uh, graduate students on this issue. Um, and this was done by uh, David Chalmers and David Burgett. And what they found was that among these kinds of people, uh, these philosophers and graduate students, 59.1% affirmed compatibilism, which remember is determinism. And uh, uh 12.2% affirmed determinism outright. Uh, let's see, tw uh, libertarian freedom got 13.7%. So 13.7%, which is substantial, of these philosophers and graduate students in philosophy agreed that we do have libertarian freedom. And, and that's a substantial amount. But the, ma the majority, 59.1% compatibilism and 12.2% saying no free will, the majority of philosophers. Now, uh, it's important to point out that 72.8% of those studied were atheists and 49.8% were naturalists. So basically what that shows you is that if you ask, um, you know, the, I have other stats that show that the majority of the general population believe that we do have libertarian free will. But if you poll, <laughs> uh, if you poll uh, the majority of 72.8% uh, atheist um, philosophers, what you're going to get is that the majority of them believe that we do not have libertarian freedom. Well, that's not really surprising. But the point that I want to make is, is that if that's the case, if that's what these uh, philosophers uh, are saying, and, and if that's where the schools are leading, you may you may have what um, what these guys are actually hoping will occur, which we'll get to in a bit, which is that this will actually trickle down, and concepts like what Sarah, Sam Harris is putting in his book on free will will trickle down, and that we will actually see uh, a turning of the tide to the position of determinism, which... Uh, if true, okay, we've got to grapple with that. But if false, I think we'll have um, ram major negative ramifications. And it relies on, as I'll show in this, uh, in this video, I think, uh, the, pos the position of naturalism, that, um, that uh, there is no God, the supernatural does not exist. So let's go ahead and um, take a look back at this video on free will, uh, free will debunked, and let's continue to listen to what Rationality Rules has to say. In 1983, the pioneering scientist, Benjamin Labette, conducted a study in which he wired up subjects to an EEG machine to measure their brain activity. He then put a timer in front of them, asked them to consciously decide to perform a hand movement, perform the hand movement, and then report the exact time that they had made a conscious decision and the results were extremely fascinating. He found that the onset of cerebral activity clearly preceded by several hundred milliseconds the reported time of conscious intention to act. Or in other words, that the subject's brain had initiated the movement long before the subject had consciously made the decision to move. Now while this study was groundbreaking in the fact that it suggested that our consciousness is entirely determined and that therefore free will is an illusion, it didn't prove it, because it left unaddressed a few disputable concerns. Namely, that the brain activity didn't predict a specific outcome of a choice, and that the delay was only a few hundred milliseconds, which means that this simply could have been due to latency. But in 2008, in response to these criticisms, Chun Sion Soon conducted a similar experiment using an fMRI machine, in which he asked subjects to freely choose between, and then immediately press, one of two buttons that were operated by the subject's left and right index fingers. And his results were truly remarkable. He found that the outcome of a decision can be encoded in brain activity of prefrontal and parietal cortex up to 10 seconds before it enters awareness. 10 seconds. 
and he went on to conclude that this delay presumably reflects the operation of a network of high-level control areas that begin to prepare an upcoming decision long before it enters awareness. Now if Libet's experiment poked free will, Soon's drop kicked it. Because if we can accurately predict what you're going to do before you've even made a conscious decision, then your consciousness is evidently not free, and therefore your conscious decisions are not free. Or to put it another way, because your consciousness is predetermined, your free will is an illusion. You simply do not have the freedom that you think you have. Okay, uh, is this statement that's on the screen right now true? Well, he's basing it on the, this neuroscience data uh, that uses Libet and Libet-like experiments. Okay, so um, uh, this here is an article from several researchers uh, that is a study of neuroscience findings in 2018, and this was the impact of a landmark. This is the name of it: the, the impact of a landmark neuroscience study on free will, a qualitative analysis of articles using Libet and colleagues' experiments or methods. Um, and and here's what uh, one of the one of the individuals that was one of the researchers had to say: "Quote: We found that interpretation of study results appeared to have been driven by the metaphysical position uh, the given author or authors subscribed to, not by a careful analysis of the results themselves. Basically, those who opposed free will interpreted the results to support their position, and vice versa. Meanwhile, the journal articles that." drew the most forceful conclusions, often didn't even assess the neural activity in question, which means their conclusions were based on speculation. It is crucial to critically examine whether the methods used actually support the claims being made. So uh, the, the people, according to this qualitative study of, of, of the, all these different uh, neuroscience experiments, what they found was that the determine you know the specula or the conclusions drawn by those engaged in these were just matched their own metaphysical you know speculations their own positions right whether for or against so um, as the article pointed out if you are a skeptic out there um, and you're like hey I'm not going to believe till it's been demonstrated to me well then um, hey uh, be happy for skepticism because you should be skeptical about this now given what he just showed about limit experiments and um, and, uh, and the follow-up experiments that work off of the same premises from this soon guy and everything. You might think, well, how in the world could we, could we respond to that? I mean, it, it seems like it's a slam dunk. Uh, if you, if it looks like, in the case of Libet, if you, you know, twitch your finger or whatever, and you report that, and it looks like the impulse was there before the decision was made, then that means that you, the decision was made before you became aware of the decision you were making. The same with which button to push and uh, all of those things. Well, I want to share something about this. First of all, um, well, I'll go ahead and show this. So this is from Marcus E. Schlosser, and this was a study called Free Will and the Unconscious uh, Precursors of Choice in, I'm sorry, a, an article in Philosophical Psychology. Uh, and this is what Marcus E. Schlosser says, however, on the basis of further experiments and some observations, 
Libet also argued that there is evidence for what he called veto control. During debriefing, some subjects reported that they had sometimes chosen not to act on the urge to move, thereby aborting the action. And in some similar experiments in which subjects were asked to first prepare and then abort the movement, EEG signals were obtained that resembled the recordings of RPs. This suggests, according to Libet, that the time window of about 200 milliseconds between W and the onset of the movement allows subjects to consciously veto and abort the performance of the action. So uh, therefore, and this is me talking now, therefore, the most you could get out of limit experiments is not that we have no free will, but that we do have free won't. The veto action means that even if it were demonstrated that a complex choice and not merely flexing of a muscle were made prior to the subject's awareness of that choice, the subject still seems to have the ability to refrain, veto, abort, or cancel the decision. I cannot help but point, and this is me again, I cannot help but point out that if this were the case, it would actually support Christian thinking on the nature of man. The natural inclination, for instance, to do some sinful act may exist, but we can refrain because we have this veto power, right? So, uh, so, so if you have free won't, if you have this inclination, but then you have the ability to abort or veto the action, then you have free won't, which... Uh, loops us back around to free will, right? Because you're still in control of whatever you end up doing. There's another criticism of this that needs to be mentioned, uh, and that is that in these experiments, what they're talking about is the difference between what we would call picking and choosing. Picking is something like, there's really not much at stake here. Am I going to push this button or that button? When am I going to flex a muscle? You know, th there's no real heavy ramifications to this. It's just picking. Whereas in the language we're using here, if you say choosing, that could be something that's much more substantial and isn't as simple as picking, right? It's something that you actually deliberate over. And that is a whole other setup, right? So you, you're talking about, you know, should I marry this person or that person? Where should I go to school? What sort of job should I go into? Or even something like what sort of, where should I go for lunch today? These are choices. They're not like just picking. They're a little bit more complex than that. And so these experiments, we wouldn't expect that you're putting too much thought into when and which button I'm going to push. So these are some criticisms that have been brought. And it's one of the reasons why, in spite of this neuroscience data, um, the neuroscience data still has to be interpreted. And you can interpret it in ways, as I think I've shown, that actually, even if I grant everything that you're saying, as long as there is that veto power or aborting power, you're actually, uh, it actually could back up Christian anthropology about our natural inclination to do X, but then we can abort that. So these are all things that I think bear mentioning. So the Libet experiments and Libet similar experiments do not result in the slam dunk that the statement on the screen right now um, implies that they do. So uh, let's go back and hear a little bit more here at the end. Anyhow, I'd thank you for watching the video to the end, but then you didn't have a choice, did you? So why should I thank you? In fact, does anyone ever deserve gratitude? Does anyone ever deserve blame? See, this this is the key here. This is ba this whole premise is based on, um, and and here's where I'll get into it is based on a naturalistic, atheistic view of the nature of reality. 
because as in the other in the next video we're going to look at, I'm not going to play the whole video, but I will link it because I want you to have the context right. I don't want to be accused of just taking it all out of context. But in the next video, Cosmic Skeptic actually does mention, well, religious people, they have this idea of the soul that they think then accounts for the ability to have something like free will. Right. But then he doesn't address that. And that's fine. He doesn't have to address it. But what I want to point out is that guys like Tim Stratton, who's a friend of mine, who's a Christian apologist, and uh, Eric Hernandez, who some of you will be familiar with. You ought, to, you ought to go check out both of those guys, Tim Stratton and Eric Hernandez. They both argue, as do I, that uh, if, if, you, if God exists, you can have something like free will. Now, they both go via the soul because you have something like the soul. My own argument for free will is simply if God does not exist, then libertarian freedom does not exist. But libertarian freedom does exist, therefore God exists. Um, because I think if you don't have God, I grant in a certain respect everything that rationality rules, cosmic skeptic, and these uh, uh, overwhelming number of atheistic philosophers uh, believe, I grant if, there, if you don't have something like that, if you just have naturalism, if atheism, if there is no God, then yeah, I, I, I agree with you that you would not have free will. I don't see a way. Now, there are some guys like Nagel that will try to argue still that you could have something like uh, free will, but, um, but I'm willing to go there with you. I agree. I think if, if, if naturalism is true, then there is no free will. But that's where you have to, you have this presupposition of naturalism uh, that leads you down this road where, as we're seeing now, that means that morality becomes moot. Now, uh, typically, if you're familiar with these discussions, you hear a lot about whether or not morality is objective. You know, Christians and atheists will argue about whether morality is objective, like there's this uh, grounding, metaphysical grounding, ontological grounding for uh, real morality. Um, so that when we say that, um, you know, uh, torturing children just for the fun of it is wrong, uh, that we mean that it really is wrong in the same sense morally that mathematically we mean two plus two equals seven is wrong. Like it's really wrong independent of what people think about it. And so, uh, you know, that, that's what oftentimes the Christian will argue and the atheist will argue sometimes, though not always, that it's subjective, that it's not really objective in that sense. So that torturing children just for the fun of it isn't really wrong in some ultimate sense, um, but it's our opinion or the opinion of enough people or we want human flourishing. And if you want human flourishing, then you go about it by considering things like that wrong. You know, you hear that objective versus subjective argument going on. It's irrelevant to the point I want to make here because what you do get in this if what rationality rules and cosmic skeptic have to say is right, then that means that whether or not you think that morality is objective, morality is moot. It's a moot point because even if there is some objectively good thing um, out there and objectively bad thing, objective right and objective wrong, when we're talking about values and duties morally, even if that's all true, if determinism is the case, I, I, whatever I choose, whatever I end up doing, I was determined to do. So it's a moot point what was ultimately right or wrong. And these guys seem to agree with at least that much because when you end up doing something uh, that's some criminal action, we shouldn't hold you blameworthy. Um, if you do some good thing, we shouldn't hold you praiseworthy. That's what you get if determinism is true. So I want you to understand the great cost that exists if you decide that naturalism is true, that God does not exist, that the supernatural doesn't, doesn't exist, 
or something like that. What you're committed to then, I I contend, and I think these guys would contend, what you're committed to then is that this whole moral discussion, it's ultimately moot in the sense that whatever is right or wrong, you are determined to do whatever you end up doing. Now, I don't think you actually live that way. I think that lacks uh, uh, something that we try to look at in worldview analysis when we're considering which worldviews are most likely to be true abductively, and that is, is it livable? Does this mat- Can you live as though this is the case? I contend you can't, because if someone comes and harms your family, you're not going to say, well, you know what, um, I guess, I mean, I guess, psh- they couldn't really help it, so I can't hold them blameworthy. If your spouse, let's imagine we have a man and a woman who are married, and both of them are huge determinists. I mean, there's, let's just say they're both atheistic, naturalistic philosophers who understand all this stuff and believe that determinism is true and believe that we should, um, we should not... Uh, we should understand the person who commits an immoral act as just a victim of their own uh, biology and circumstances, and so we shouldn't hold them morally culpable. Um, okay, great. You got a couple that both understand that. They're both atheist philosophers, and uh, one of them cheats on the other one. One of them uh, cheats, has adultery and, and cheats on the other one. Um, what's the other one going to say? Well, I guess, you know, uh, I, I guess... I, he couldn't help it. She couldn't help it. So I'm just, I can't hold them responsible. I mean, you know, because we've got this Sam Harris book collection over here. And, you know, he's got this book on free will. That point, and, you know, I, I, so I guess it's fine. I mean, that's just the way it is. Of course not. You know what? He's going to act that way. Well, what we're going to get from these guys is we should endeavor to get to that point. Try all day long to get to that point. You will not get to that point. Why? Because it is intuitively a known fact that they didn't have to do that. They could have done otherwise. When uh, this extreme religious person or something commits some hate crime, the reason you feel this indignation, and I do too, is because we know that they didn't have to do that. They could have done otherwise. But what makes sense of that intuitive understanding? What makes sense of it in a coherent way? Well, not naturalism, but uh, the idea that there is a God, that there's a supernatural element at play, that we have a soul, that we really are more than our mere cause and effect biological systems. That makes sense of that. But you are committed to this perspective if you are a naturalist, and it does not match what we observe experientially about the nature of reality, and any argument used against it will, lack the pl- will have premises that lack plausibility. Uh, they will be less plausible than our immediate experience that those things are wrong and that the person didn't have to do them and that we do have free will. And a good argument has premises that are plausible. But you'll never have an argument where the premises that you don't have free will are going to be more plausible than your immediate experience of them. That's my contention. All right, so let's jump over now and take a look at uh, this discussion in the garden that they're having at Cosmic Skeptic's house, I think, uh, about Sam Harris's book, Free Will, and about this whole situation. So by this point in the discussion, they've talked about you know why they came to understand this and um, how Sam Harris you know enlightened them on these things, and now they believe uh, that determinism is true, and what are we going to do about it? And this is where we are you thought a lot about the um the results that this has particularly on our justice system do you have any answers to it do you do do you have ways in which you would say this ought to happen in light of these facts well for me sounds almost cliche but the answer is education because Mm. uh, for instance put it this way um 
you fully accepted a moment ago that uh, a man who kills somebody's family is not morally accountable. Mm -hmm. Do you feel sorry for that man? Yes. But do you really? I mean, if somebody killed your family, do, would you feel sorry for them? If they killed my family, yes. my emotions yes. would, you, you would, would overcome You it. wouldn't be able to do it. But if and they so, killed someone else's family that I don't know, I can quite get around but it. The only, the only way that you can get around it is because you need to, if you sit and really think about the, the practical uh, or the philosophical implications yes. of uh, uh, saying that free will does not exist. Mm. Okay, so for me, if we are going to attempt to change anything about the criminal justice system or even the way that we view criminals, mm -hmm. we absolutely have to get everybody on the same plane. We have to convince everybody of the premise of this book. We have to. Okay, but before before we go any further, I, I want to point out what what we're talking about here is you've just heard. In case anyone thought I was strawmanning here, uh, this really is as bad as it sounds. And I, what I love about these guys, what I appreciate about them, is that they have the conviction of consistency within their own worldview that if if this is the case and we believe that it is, then it leads to these shocking. Uh, uh, States of affairs, but we're going to embrace that. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and acknowledge it. You heard him say, if if someone kills your family, you understand that that guy is not morally culpable or responsible or whatever word he used. It, yeah, yeah. Oh, would you feel that way if it was your own family? No, no, I probably wouldn't because emotionally, I probably wouldn't be able to get there. But with somebody else's family, I probably could. Right? You, you're you're hearing them walk through this. This is where we're at, and uh, and so now they're talking about. So what do we do? Well. The only way that we're going to be able to get people to understand this so that we can change how criminal justice is done is we're going to have to get everybody to get on board with this. Well, good luck with that. But um, let's see how they think that can be done. Put it into the school curriculum. We, we have to make everybody understand yeah. um, the philosophical grounding for the practical implications. We ha if, if people aren't in agreement that free will doesn't exist, then any uh, practical implications that we can come up with, if I say, okay, Free will doesn't exist, therefore we need to stop holding people morally accountable. If you don't think free will doesn't exist, then there's nothing we can do about that because yeah, it seems we to couldn't be that needs to be yeah. starting So we'd yeah. have to absolutely. So for me, uh, people often ask, this is the first thing people ask, they say, what are the practical impl implications? For me, that's not the most important thing at the moment. The most important thing now is to convince people of the premise. Yeah. Then okay, so let's not worry about the practical implications. Let's just go ahead and, and, and get the truth out there. Okay, now I like this because what I like about it is people often look at the Christian worldview and they say, uh, there are some things about Christianity that I really don't like, that are really uncomfortable. There's some stuff in the Old Testament that, ooh, why would you ever want to believe something like that? Okay, look, if it's true, the important thing is to get the truth out there, right? Uh, and in their system, there is something really horrific. Like, I mean, every evil thing that has ever been done by anyone, it's not their fault. Uh, you know, not really, right? That is about as horrific as it gets. And yet they're willing to grit their teeth and bite the bullet and say, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And we need to make, he said in one case, everyone agree with this. We got we to gotta get everyone on board with this. So I, I appreciate the, um, the willingness to, to be consistent in your convictions. I don't understand why there's a should in this. Why should we do these things? I mean, because what, you know, 
on your on this view, you get a moot morality, right? Whatever anybody ends up doing or believing or thinking, they were determined to believe or think or do anyway. So I'm not sure where you get the should in any of this, but that's a whole other discussion. But um, but you know, for what they want to accomplish, just like we had to do with evolution. And they actually say that at some point. I don't know if I'm going to play it, but uh, just like we had to do with evolution, which is get people to teach it in the classrooms and just get just inundate education with this to the point that, you know, there are still people that don't believe it, but they're kind of not relevant uh, in terms of lawmaking and things like that. Uh, We got to do that with this. We got to get everybody on the same page. Now, I can't, there's a trope that is out there, and I mean, this is a real thing where uh, Christians and particularly creationists who deny evolution will say, you here, you tell people in the classroom, you tell young people in the classroom that they are merely an animal, uh, they are merely a highly evolved animal, and you see what happens because they'll get it that it's survival of the fittest and morality is out the window, and don't be surprised if you get X, Y, and Z happening after that. Okay, whatever you want to say about that, the point here is this is upping the ante, okay? Uh, Because what we're saying here is whatever you end up doing, you were determined to do and it wasn't your fault. Now, you've just just said if if somebody kills your family, you understand it really wasn't their fault, right? That's right. I'd still be bothered, but yeah, it's not really their fault. They were determined to do it. Okay, great. Um, you, you believe that. And we should teach that in the schools. Even if he means at the university level, which I think he does, we should teach that in the schools. So you're going to tell young people that if someone kills their fam- someone's family, it's not their fault, and we're going to teach you that. What? I mean, look, it's one thing if that's true, if determinism is true, and we have really good reason to believe so, and so we got to figure out, you know, we don't we want to teach the truth, despite the incredibly horrific, you know, practical outcome that that can and probably will have at some point um, when you tell young people that. But beyond that, if if you're not sh- if, if if there's good reason to think that's not actually true, but you tell people that that is that is a great cost. That is a horrible idea. Um, I'm all for education. I'm all for Sam Harris's book on free will being read in concert with other books that make a case for free will. And there are actually guys out there who are not Christians, who are not religious, who make a case for free will, believe it or not. But this idea that we've got to, it's really important that people come to believe that if someone kills your family, it wasn't their fault. I mean, I get it that you want to, that you want to treat with a certain degree of understanding the person who was determined and couldn't have done otherwise to do whatever wicked thing they did. I I get that, but be careful with this stuff, man, because if you're wrong, this is, uh, this is, this is a horrible idea. This is a horrible idea. Let's see what else they say. I, I think this is it. Yeah, that you cannot say to somebody that doesn't accept this premise, accept this argument, Oh, that person may have um, ran over your child. Terrible accident, but he didn't intend to do it, mm. and therefore we're going to give him this light punishment. Yes. Without accepting this, they're still going to have a feeling of wanting mm. retribution. Yes. And you can't have a society where that happens, no. because they just vote for people which don't believe in it. 
Yes. So, so you're going to have a bad situation. The, the, and it begs the question, will people, do you think this is something that people can end up accepting? Or do you think the, the persisting illusion is just so strong that we're never going to be able to I think it will be similar to what we've seen with evolution in that firstly the scientists believe it mm -hmm. then the people who are clever enough to realize that okay maybe I don't quite understand it but I yeah. trust the scientists who have looked into it and so I believe that mm -hmm. and then it sort of grows and grows and grows but we'll never eradicate ideas uh, <laughs> in people's minds who uh, don't believe in evolution I mean even mm -hmm. in a hundred even in a thousand years time there's probably going to be a small select group of there people is, yeah. who just don't believe it conspiracy theorists people who think the earth is flat they're, they're always going to be there I was going to go over that but, I was going to say this still yeah, going to be but here, once yeah. you get to a certain point it doesn't matter because these people aren't, aren't taken seriously mm -hmm. in public discourse so. exactly and they can't make serious weight yes. on legislation so I, I don't think okay so what I want you to get out of this is notice how many illusions that the naturalistic position says that we have the the humans even even non-religious humans do have to live with the illusion that we have free will many will admit the illusion that there is some real objective morality uh, the illusion that the universe uh, strongly implies design I would say demands the belief that there is design that they'll admit that there's the illusion that, that you know, uh, even Dawkins will say things like, I look at the world and it, it like fills you with this sense of wonder. It makes you almost want to worship or something. I'm paraphrasing, so if I don't have it exactly right, those aren't his exact words, perhaps. But these are all illusions. So, so strong, these guys admit that we may never be able to get people to, to get around the illusion, especially with free will. Now, you know, okay, you got two worldviews here. All right, you got the naturalistic, atheistic worldview. Then you've got uh, the theistic worldview that allows for non-natural stuff, supernatural stuff. Those two are on offer. One makes the theistic position, makes great sense out of these things and says they're not illusions. You feel like you have free will. It seems undeniable that you have free will because guess what? You have free will. You feel like you have a real objective uh, morality that it has a, an ontological grounding in something real? Yeah, because it does. Because it really is wrong to torture children for the fun of it uh, or to engage in hate crimes or whatever thing. Um, the, the universe does seem like like it's really designed. Yeah, because it really is designed. You know, All these things that you're having to... On the other system, you have to say, I know that in each of those cases, it seems undeniable. Like it seems absurd to deny it. But hey, uh, these things aren't, you just have to live with it. They're not real. Look at what it costs you. And guess what? It's telling you that the things that you have the most direct access to, the most reason to believe are obvious are actually illusions. And yet you have a coherent system over here that actually accounts for those things. Which should you accept? I'm sorry. You should accept the one that, that makes the best sense out of your experience and the nature of reality. How do you get to this one over here? Well, you have to, you know, uh, pretty well depend on science to a degree that, um, that, you know, allowing it to answer questions that it's never was never meant to answer. Now, there's some philosophy going on here. I don't want to say that's not happening, but if you take a good balance of all of these things, I think you get uh, an answer that makes better sense 
uh, on the supernatural system. Besides the fact that I haven't mentioned, but longtime listeners will have heard me say, another thing that goes out the window is knowledge and rationality if free will does not exist. Think about this. If libertarian freedom does not exist, rational affirmations and knowledge claims cannot exist because rationality is the process by which you deliberate and decide which things you should, you choose which things you should affirm uh, instead of irrational things, right? But, and that's how you arrive at rational affirmations and that's how you can make meaningful knowledge claims and say, I know something. If free will does not exist, then it's not just your actions that are determined, but each thought that you have, all of your beliefs, everything you're thinking about is likewise determined so that the man who believes he's a pink unicorn was determined to believe that to the same degree as the person who is determined to believe that Sam Harris's book is correct. Both of them got there the same way. They were determined to believe whatever they ended up believing uh, and it could not have been otherwise. Well, that's difficult to wrap your mind around, but what it means is you didn't really deliberate and choose which things to believe, which means you didn't uh, reason. This wasn't really rationality. So rational affirmations go out the window. You can make, if determinism is true, you can make affirmations, but you can't rationally affirm anything. And you even might be right. You may actually end up affirming things that are true. Uh, but you can get to true statements without actually having gotten there rationally. So you can make affirmations, but you can't call them rational affirmations. And you can't call them knowledge claims. So what you would need to do is you'd need to go home and consider um, how you could have an epistemology on determinism that allows for rationality and knowledge claims, because then at least you'd know something. And I'm not trying to be cute. That's just the way it is. Think about it like this. This is Tim Stratton's analogy, and I love it. Imagine that you discovered that there was a, a mad scientist who was controlling your every thought, uh, your every action, your every belief, including what you're thinking as you're listening to this episode right now and the next words that are going to come out of your mouth, and you really have no control over it. Someone else is controlling it, a mad scientist, and you don't know what his intentions are. Would you then be justified in thinking anything that you're saying is true? I don't see how. Now think about it. It's even worse than that because there's not even a mad scientist. It's just nature that has resulted in your determined beliefs and affirmations that you make. So this actually destroys knowledge, destroys any ability to make rational affirmations. And that is, a, that is so great a cost that even a discussion like this about what's true about the nature of reality all of their beliefs are determined, including the beliefs of the people that they're going to try and impact. And the belief that Sam Harris's book is correct was determined, just like the belief that the man is a pink unicorn is determined. In both cases, whatever was determined to be believed by the agent is the belief they arrived at. So real uh, you know, rationality and knowledge claims go out the window. Morality goes out the window. And all of this stuff, it's just illusions. It's illusions. But here's the thing. This is, this is the only thing that, that might give us a little bit of hope. What is the grand plan? Now, we know we got to get everybody on, on the determinist side is what they're saying. Uh, what's the grand plan to do that? Let's hear what Cosmic Skeptic thinks is uh, the way to get to that point. I, I think that's the answer. We need to put this book in libraries. We need to put this book in libraries. We need to put this book in libraries. We need to, we need to put this book in libraries. We need to put it into schools. 
put this book in libraries and put this book in schools. First of all, it's probably already in the libraries, right? It's a pretty popular book. Here's, here's the difficulty. Now, if you put it in the curriculum, people are, are going to have to engage with it. And I'm fine with that. As long as they're not denied, the, uh, what's also in that curriculum is the other side of it. But we don't hear anyone arguing for that. But here's the thing, and, and this is sad. This is a point where I think cosmic skeptic, rationality rules, and myself all kind of are on this, in the same bad situation. When you're interested in academic and philosophical ideas, what you have to live with is the reality that a lot of people just don't care about that stuff. You can tell them what books they ought to read, but they're not going to read Sam Harris's book on morality. They're not going to read The Moral Landscape. They're not going to read Free Will for the same reason they're not going to read Reasonable Faith or Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. You know why? Because that heady stuff, there's just a lot of people that just don't care. Now, there are some that do care. And so that's why this thing is slow going. But with free will, there is so much at stake. Um, and what, what does concern me is if, you, if, if, if this operation is successful and uh, against all odds and against all intuition, this actually becomes the dominant view in academia uh, and then by virtue of that becomes the dominant view among the populace, then we would then have a population that overwhelmingly believes that whatever crime is committed, no matter how disgusting or how vicious, the person really couldn't help it. And while there may be in that some level of mercy uh, or some understanding for the criminal, which, by the way, you can have anyway um, on a free will model, uh, what's that going to do to the person who wants to commit a crime? Uh, but, um, but yeah, this, this is a... This is serious stuff. It's not something we want to play around with, so we need to be careful. But I do like these guys. I think they are trying to think through their worldview in a clear way, and I respect that. I admire it. That's why I do like these guys. I want everyone to know that when I make a video response to people, it's never my desire to clown them. It's never my desire to troll them. If I make a video response, it's because I think I respect that you are making some kind of an impact on a large number of people and your ideas need to be responded to from the other side. And I, I value you as a person. Um, I respect you as a person, as a thinker, as in, from my perspective, though not yours, an image bearer who bears the image of the one true God. And because of that, I have a reverence for you. Um, and, and, and I come to it with that. That's why you don't hear me, you know, uh, name calling or, you know, you know, lambasting people. It's why I try to point out what I like about people when I do these videos. So uh, guys, uh, I hope that you'll consider these things freely and I hope that you will exercise your libertarian freedom to uh, and your ability to ration, uh, reason and, and make rational affirmations to affirm libertarian freedom because if you don't do that, I got news for you, the last thing you are is a free thinker. I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.